evening and welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Each week we get together, we talk about the news of the week and sometimes the events of our often bizarre lives. And we do so in an entertaining, informative and unique fashion. And we do so to 22 different radio stations across this formerly great nation of ours. Uh, This, of course, is Easter Sunday. So I welcome you, Leah Brandon. Happy Easter to you. Why, thank you very much. Happy Easter. I'm a little bit exhausted, um, more so than normally, partially because of the fact that it's Easter, partially because of the fact that my daughter, my three-year-old daughter, Grace, was off for three days this week because of the Easter holiday. She goes to a Christian preschool, and so that means I was Mr. Mom for three full days. Oh, uh, boy. Which three was, whole yeah, days. Yeah, I, I, I have no idea how moms do it. I have zero idea. I was completely spent by the end of the third day and then easter is the one day all year that my wife entertains uh, we, we don't do a lot of, we don't have many friends uh, and on easter <laughs> you chase them all away with the dinner conversation <laughs> I mean, it might be my fault that's quite possible but uh, on easter it's her responsibility to take care of her extended family so you know this is the one day all year where uh, our house uh, is open, and she's entertaining, and she's got to do the whole, uh, I guess you call it a brunch-lunch type of thing, uh, which creates an enormous amount of stress because, oh, yeah. you know, you know how people are in general, especially women, especially with their own families, entertaining their mom and their, their siblings and, uh, you know, all their nieces and nephews and what have you. So it's been a stress fest at the Ziegler house. There, there is one benefit, though, with all the stress with my wife entertaining the one time all year. Uh, we, we can pay for it uh, from the diamond that comes out of her butt at the end of the whole thing, you know, because we just, <laughs> we just put a piece of coal in there at the beginning. By the end of the week, it's diamond because of all the uh, uh, the tightness in her backside. And, you know, it all works out very, very well. You know, uh, if you just cater it, it's a whole lot easier. <laughs> you know, it's probably a better idea than yeah, with all the stress. Seriously. <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, she did a great job. We had a wonderful time. Uh, there was a minimum amount of crying. Uh, and so it was a wonderful Easter, at least on this end. And interestingly, uh, I had a chance, purely impromptu, to discuss Easter. I don't even know how this happened. We were at dinner table. I was discussing Easter with my three-year-old daughter, Grace, who fans of the John and Leah show may remember, uh, made her uh, broadcast debut the week of Christmas. Yes. Uh, and she, she did a fabulous job the week of Christmas. You can actually check out her appearance on YouTube and at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. It's well worth it if you want the laughs. Um, but this, is all, this will give you a taste of what uh, Grace was like on her Christmas broadcast, because here I am interviewing Grace at the dinner table about the Easter story. And her version of the Easter story uh, sounds like a blockbuster movie waiting to be made. Uh, here's what that sounded like a couple days ago. Gracie, can you tell me the story of Jesus? Yeah. For Easter? Yeah. What happened with Jesus and Easter? Um, he died, and then his mommy and daddy put him in the cave. He died, and his mommy and daddy put him in the cave? Yeah. And then what happened? And then he came back to life. And then he came back to life? Yeah. And then what happened? And then he, um, he pushed the rock with his super strong muscles. He pushed the rock from the cave and his super strong muscles. And then what happened? And then everybody was happy. And everyone was happy? Yeah. And it was Easter time? Yeah. And where does the Easter bunny fit into this? Uh, I don't know. You don't know? Was the Easter bunny there or was that a totally different story? Uh, the Easter bunny was there. The Easter bunny was there. 
Did he help Jesus with the rock? Yeah. And was there candy? Uh, yes. Okay. Everybody was so happy. The Easter story according to Grace Ziegler. Good job, Grace. Oh, there's your Easter bunny. Say happy Easter. Happy Easter, Easter bunny. <laughs> there you have it, uh, three-year-old, soon-to-be four-year-old, uh, Grace Ziegler, with her version of the Easter story, which, you know, makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Uh, Jesus I mean, was... she's pretty much got it down. <laughs> She's got the important parts, but she's spiced in a few interesting details, like Jesus with his super strong muscles and that's fine. the Easter Bunny helping out with moving the rock away from the cave. But uh, that, that sounds that's a movie I would watch. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> all right, we've got a ton to get to, as is almost always the case on this edition of the John and Leah Show. Uh, we will talk about, among other things, the terrorism in Belgium, the uh, GOP race took a couple of weird turns. We will try to get... I'm not sure we're going to be able to succeed, but maybe together we can get some make some, make some progress. We'll try to get to the bottom of this Ted Cruz quote-unquote <laughs> sex scandal, which the Internet has been abuzz with for the last three days, and the mainstream news media has completely ignored. Now, not too long ago, Leah, I would have presumed that meant the story was 100% false, because I would have trusted the mainstream news media above the Internet. Now I'm not 100% sure either way. I don't know what the deal is with the Dead Cruz story, but I have some information that has not been disseminated widely publicly that you'll definitely want to hear, and I'm de I definitely want to get Leah Brandon's take on it because uh, she's a Ted Cruz fan. So I know if it passes uh, muster with her, then it must be legitimate. But we'll find that out all as we move along on the John and Leah show. Tons to get to on this edition, so stick with us. Our website is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. This is the John and Leah show. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. We've got a ton to get to in this edition of the John and Leah Show, heard on 22 different stations throughout this formerly great nation of ours. You can check out each and every one of them at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com, where you can find a whole bunch of things that I think you'll find of interest, including, by the way, a new music video that a John and Leah Show listener has created to go with the uh, Trumpster anthem that we played on this program a couple of weeks ago. Have you seen that yet, Leah? I have not seen it yet. Oh, I'll have to check that out. It's definitely worth checking out. It's much better as a music video than just the music that we uh, that we played from the old Bobby Goldsboro song, uh, Hobos and Kings. Um, but before we get to any of that, uh, I want to start at the beginning of this week with regard to the news of the week. That's basically what we do here on the John and Leah Show. We are the best week in review show in all of radio, mainly because... There's not much competition, <laughs> but Zero. Uh, but but sadly, uh, Leah, the big story of the week uh, was one that really we've heard before. Um, all yeah. too all too familiar in in every possible way, and it dealt with terrorism in Europe this time in Brussels, Belgium. Give us the details on that. 
Right. It was just three days after the so-called mastermind of the Paris terror attacks was captured in Brussels that a new terror plot was carried out. Suicide bombers blowing themselves up in the Brussels airport. And an hour later, another explosion rocking a metro train station. In all, 31 people killed, including four confirmed Americans and around 200 injured. President Obama was in Cuba at the time of the attacks and he took all of 51 seconds to discuss them before heading to a baseball game with Raul Castro. This weekend, Obama in his radio address doubling down on bringing 100,000 Syrian refugees to America, saying that an open and welcoming society is the only way to stop terrorism. All right. Now, you know, it's hard to do analysis of this because it feels so repetitive and it's so sad and it's so obvious. I mean, if we don't change our tactics, and when I say we, I mean the Western world, the civilized world, uh, we're going to keep getting the same result. Only the results are going to probably get worse and they're going to get closer and closer to home. And, I mean, it was obvious, you know, that this was ISIS. It was obvious this was Muslim extremism, yeah. radical Muslim extremism. Uh, the, the names are all, you know, we, we don't know any of the names, but they're all incredibly familiar because they're, they're all, you know, Muslim names. Uh, they're all young males. Uh, there, there were connections to the Paris bombing. It appears for all the world that Belgium did not take seriously the warnings that they had. There were red flags all over the place. They had plenty of warnings specifically about the airport. And, um, you know, apparently there's communities there that where, you know, you, these people are untouchable. They can do whatever they want. They acted like they were untouchable. They, 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 it was clear from what we know so far that they had zero fear of being found out. They were right. al- almost out there in the open. And, um, and this goes back to the ultimate issue. Uh, which you and I talk about all the time. It, it deals with political correctness. It's about yeah. profiling, and it's also about the Muslim community not taking the responsibility to make sure that they take care of their own business because they, they're the only ones that can do this. The, the Muslim community is the only entity that can ever put a stop to this, and it's clear there's no will to do that, at least correct in, in, a, in, a, in far too many places. Um, and, and this is going to keep happening. I mean, there was nothing that that was certainly by Barack Obama's response in Cuba. Oh, let me interrupt a baseball game in Cuba uh, for a less than one minute address. I mean, he couldn't mail in his response to these terrorist attacks more. It, it literally, if he tried, I mean, right. I, I mean, he obviously just doesn't. He care. doesn't care. He really doesn't. It's a bother to him. It is so obvious to anybody. And while I hate to look at this politically, obviously we're in an election season. Uh, and and one that you know I've been saying all along that Hillary Clinton is going to almost certainly be the next president of the United States, mainly because the Republican side is screwing things up so colossally, colossally and catastrophically, and that if Donald Trump is the nominee, she's almost assuredly the next president of the United States. I will say this, even though I've been on the record as any as much as anybody possibly can be on that, I thought she made a huge mistake this week. Uh, in reacting in such an incredibly timid and politically correct manner. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she went all in on political correctness, being, you know, pro, not I mean, not in her words, pro-Muslim, but in our view, you know, protecting Muslims over protecting our own safety. That's uh, what it's all about. And I just don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. What- Look, there's no one that's more open society to Muslims and refugees than Europe. Right. 
and then look, okay, look, what did they get? And looks what look what's happening. Right. I mean, their their society is on the verge of not being able to function um, out of fear, and and rightfully so. Although I, I, it is interesting uh, to me, at least. I don't know if you caught the same deal on this, but I felt like it was so weird, even though Belgium is one country over from France, we don't have the same connection to Belgium, and there wasn't quite as many casualties as, as France, and you know, even though it was horrific and horrible and all that, I don't think it resonated nearly as much as the Paris attacks, for whatever reason, in, in America, but it's also partially because we're becoming immune to this. Immune we're, to it, yeah, that's right. Which is really scary. I mean, we're, we're, it's, it's feeling like, oh, yeah, another terror attack. Unless and until it comes closer to home or at home, uh, we're not going to wake up. Uh, I mean, least, how many times do we have to have it here at home before we wake up? I don't. Luckily, I I agree with you. I'm talking about the general population. I couldn't agree mm-hmm. with you more. But back to Hillary for a second. She, because of her very timid, very politically correct, very pro, frankly, Muslim, maybe even pro-Muslim extremist, because I they I can guarantee yes. you they weren't shaking in their boots with her response. Uh, they were going, oh, good, we're going to get eight more years of the same response we got from Obama. This sounds pretty right. good. Um, she has opened herself up. If, and this is obviously a big if and one that I'm not rooting for, regardless of the political implications of it, but if, by chance, there was a major terrorist attack on our homeland within a month to two months of the election, I think she's in big trouble, even against Trump, um, and partially because of what Trump represents and having balls down to his knees and, you know, that whole deal. I, I think if, if the timing was perfect and, and, and if, if there was somehow a Benghazi connection, um, you know, not that the media would let the American public know that, but if by chance any of that happened, she is very, very vulnerable um, on this issue. Now, why I she mean, would do that, I don't know. I mean, because there's no political – I don't understand the political gain. I mean, she's going to win the Democratic nomination, even though Bernie Sanders is racking up wins. She's going to be the nominee unless she dies or is indicted, neither of which is likely to happen. So I don't understand what she gains politically by being you know, so politically correct and, and, and going with the, the liberal viewpoint on this, not wanting to step Muslims. on any toes. Go nine out of ten uh, Democrat. That's what not, it's about. Okay, but they're not that important a voting block. I mean, okay, it may. I mean, she's Michigan. Okay, fine. Maybe in Michigan. Hello. Um, um, but um, but she's going to win Michigan anyway. So I don't, I don't frankly understand it politically. I, I I do think that that is at this point the only rational scenario where she ends up losing to a Donald Trump or maybe even to a Ted Cruz. But she, but wait, she could not have made herself more politically vulnerable. Uh, to something like that happening, then her very timid response uh, this week. It's just naive, naive, and just putting our safety at risk for this. I, I don't, I don't get this at all. Yeah. Well, we're going to keep getting the same results if we don't change anything, and we're not changing anything. And those results are going to keep getting worse and worse, and closer and closer to us. And I, I've said it all along: we don't have the will to defeat this enemy in the long run because of what for lack of a better term, is called political correctness. I mean, Ted Cruz is right on this. Donald Trump is right on this. It's all about political correctness. We would rather be politically correct than be as and safe dead. as... Well, right. I hope that makes you feel better. When you die, I hope, or, or when we lose our society, uh, what's left of it, because of political correctness, I hope we feel better about ourselves. Because uh, that's what really it's all about, feeling better. Yep. It's all about feelings. It is. Feelings. Sure. All right, uh, we'll move on to the <laughs> political arena more directly when we come back on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 
This is the John and Leah Show. My name's John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. This is the part of the show where each week we take a look at the race to the White House 2016. And on the GOP side, Leah, that music is particularly appropriate. <laughs> holding out yeah. for a hero. We're holding out for somebody, and it ain't going to happen. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's 2.30 in the morning. The bar's about to close up, and there's nobody left. <laughs> Not uh, even anybody really ugly left. <laughs> <laughs> All bad options at this point. Um, by the way, I'm not going to deal with the, the Democrats because, as I referenced earlier, uh, while Bernie Sanders had a good week, I'm still not buying. Um, and it's amazing he's hung in as well as he has. Oh, come but, on. Uh, the bird. Yes, the bird will signal. put Bernie over the top. Well, you know, for a bunch of moronic liberals, they, they probably see that as a legitimate sign, you know. But <laughs> the, but that's that's his wheelhouse right there, you know. That's true. You know, the, those, those are the... <laughs> Oh, I missed it up. There we go. All right, there, there we go. Those, those are the Bernie Sanders uh, voters, which are very, by the way, closely aligned with. Um, I love the poorly educated. It's very, very similar base, political bases there between Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump. Um, but anyway, barring death or indictment, Hillary, I'm still believing strongly, is going to be the Democratic nominee. So let's focus on the GOP side. By the way, in the next hour. Uh, we're going to get into the um, National Enquirer's report about Ted Cruz and an alleged sex scandal in a way that you're not going to hear anywhere else, I promise. So stay tuned for that. But before we do, let's let's get in depth on the GOP race as we know it. And uh, there were a couple of contests this week in Arizona and Utah, Leah. Yes, and it was sort of called the Mini Western Tuesday. Uh, Donald Trump won Arizona 47%, and Ted Cruz easily took the Utah caucuses at 69%. Uh, Phoenix voting, though, was a complete nightmare. The entire county had 60 polling places. Now, in Utah, the exit polls show that the Mormons don't like Donald Trump, and they consider that if he became president... He would be a jihad tool for Islamic terrorists. Next up for the Republicans, Wisconsin, April 5th. And now Governor Walker has been asked whether or not he will endorse someone for that race or whether it could make a difference. And he is said to be considering it. And most people think that he'll endorse Ted Cruz, although who knows, uh, things could, Maybe. Happen, could change very quickly this week, <laughs> depending on what does or does not happen with the aforementioned uh, National Enquirer story. All right. Uh, these these results were significant. Um, let me first of all deal with Utah, <laughs> because uh, when, did, when did we get to the point, Leah, where the Mormons are now the most rational people we have left? <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> Could someone tell me where across the way it was the Mormon population? And by the way, Mormons are good people. I have nothing against Mormons, but they're known as the crazy ones, right? How did the Mormons become the rational ones? They're the ones that look at Donald Trump and they go, no, 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 <laughs> no. no thanks. No, no, thank you in a huge way. And by the way, very much related to that. Um, the news media won't tell you this, but the much maligned Mitt Romney had to be feeling awfully good because it was Mitt Romney who said, I'm going to vote for Ted Cruz. 
and in Utah, which obviously has a very high Mormon population, Ted Cruz didn't just win a little bit. He won the biggest landslide of, of any race so far in the United States on the GOP side. And by the way, again, the media won't tell you this, but there have been three states where Mitt Romney has made specific recommendations. He said, vote for Marco Rubio in Florida. He said, vote for John Kasich in Ohio. And he said, vote for Ted Cruz in Utah. Well, in two of those three states, Trump got smashed, smashed. So this notion that somehow Mitt Romney's speech was irrelevant and that no one cares is just not true. It's only a certain segment of the population that cares, but it's still significant. And by the way, I love, you probably didn't see this because there wasn't video of it, apparently. And, and we live in a world where if there's not video, it didn't actually happen. But apparently Mitt Romney gave a speech with, which had one of the best lines I've heard from a politician in a long time. He was talking about Donald Trump this week. And he said, you know, Donald Trump has multiple foreign wives which proves that there really are jobs that Americans just won't do. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Mitt Romney just doesn't care anymore. He just, he just doesn't care. So Utah he shouldn't was, have cared a long time ago. We wouldn't be in this mess. You know, that's quite possible. If he had, if he had, <laughs> had that same attitude in, in September, October of 2012, then maybe, just maybe, although I still maintain Obama would have won, it just would have been a lot closer. But that's a fair point. Uh, we would, And by the way, you make an excellent point. I don't know if this is where you're going with it, but I do believe that Romney wimping out, and that's what he did do in, that, in those last two debates mm-hmm. against Obama, paved the way for Donald Trump. Because oh, you bet. I think it was one of the top ten reasons why we have Donald Trump, and it's because so many people... See, a lot of our base was diluted because our conservative commentators, who are whores and idiots... Um, told them that Romney was going to win. I, of course, did not. I said the exact opposite consistently in 2012, and guess who was right, but that's usually yeah, the case. Well. Um, and so the, the reality is that the base got lied to, that Romney was going to win. All of a sudden he gets basically killed, and they say, well, if he hadn't wimped out, he would have won. So now we're just looking for balls. That's all we're Correct. looking for. We're just looking for balls down to their knees. Uh, let's look. Oh, right. look at Donald. Oh, Donald's got big, hairy ones. Uh, this is what we're going with. We just want balls. Uh, not realizing. And John Boehner and Mitch McConnell also added to that. I agree. It's all, it's all part of a perfect storm. It, this, yep. this Trump thing is a perfect storm of epic proportions, but the, the desperate need for some testosterone and for some balls occurs at least in part because of Mitt Romney. But. I had to feel at least a little bit good for for Mitt Romney, for whom I have a lot of respect, uh, because of those results in Utah. Now, Arizona is is interesting and important for different reasons. Part of the Cruz plan, and basically I I look at Ted Cruz at this point as kind of like being Davy Crockett at the Alamo. (laughs) I mean, he's hunkered down, and uh, he doesn't really have a path to victory. No. But, but he just wants to survive. Just let's just keep this thing going, and we're you know we're gonna kill as many Mexicans as we can. <laughs> figuratively, I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm using the Alamo. That's Donald. I'm, I, I'm using this met- metaphor of the Alamo, right? I'm, we're we're gonna keep our you know our as much ammo as we can. Somehow get to Cleveland in July and hope to work it out there. That's the cruise strategy. And part of that strategy, at least the math that has been released from the Cruz campaign, included a victory in Arizona. Well, not only didn't it happen, 
It didn't come close to happening. Trump crushed him in Arizona, which, by the way, is it just shows how different different segments of the population are. I mean, Utah and Arizona geographically are very close, yet the results could not have been more different. More different between yeah. uh, Cruz crushing uh, Trump in Utah and almost the opposite occurring in Arizona. So my first analysis of Arizona is, uh-oh, this is bad news. Basically, the ammo in the Alamo is not going to be enough to get it all the way to Cleveland because if Trump is winning so easily in Arizona, and of course part of that's because John Kasich is still in the race and no one can fully figure out why. Uh, so because it's a three-man race, and I've said consistently, Trump will win a three-man race every time, and because the state's coming up, other than Wisconsin, which is the next battle, after Wisconsin, the map is incredibly friendly to Donald Trump. So, you know, the, the conventional wisdom has been, well, Trump's probably not going to get to the magic number of 1237. Well, Arizona indicates to me that he might. Um, and, and I also thought that the, the timing of the terror attack in Brussels and the fact yes. that that plays right into his hands, all of that, I thought, well, we're close to closing up shop on this thing, despite what Utah did. And then the next couple of days, a lot changed. And a lot changed partially because Donald Trump decided to retweet a stupid attack on Ted Cruz's wife. Uh, basically, uh, there was a photo that was sent to Donald Trump via Twitter, uh, one of his beautiful model wife, Melania. The other was the worst picture ever taken of Heidi Cruz. Yeah. And, and the, the, the caption said, a picture is worth a thousand words. Now, Trump is not responsible for someone sending that to him. However, he is responsible for him sending that to 7 million followers, including every single media outlet in the world, which, which follows Donald Trump. You have to think of Twitter, especially when you've got 7 million followers like Donald Trump, as basically he's running his own radio station or newspaper, whatever you want, however you want to look at it. And, media and when, empire. Right. So when he he's broad, he's looking, so, he, so he's basically taking that, that tweet, and when he retweets it, he's broadcasting it to 7 million people plus. Um, and so for him to do that, it does, you know, that I think not only was stupid, but he has to take some responsibility for it. And it totally changed the conversation. The conversation, which should have been Trump crushes Cruz, if you're from Trump's perspective, it should have been Trump crushes Cruz in Arizona. Cruz's math is all wrong. There's been this terror attack. Hillary's being super PC. Trump should be attacking Hillary, not Heidi Cruz. It's unreal. I mean, how in what world? He's got a screw loose. He's got a screw loose. He that, He's just, there's something wrong with him. I have to tell you, the retweet of that, especially given the timing, indicates to me you're 100% right, Leah Brandon. He has zero discipline. He, this yeah. is this is a guy we want to be. I, I, I know it's cliche, finger on the button, because it doesn't work that way. But still, you want him in charge of the U.S. Armed Forces I, when he can't even have the restraint not to retweet an ugly picture of his opponent's wife because it I strokes know. his ego. Are you kidding? But yeah. but this then leads us to the to the cruise thing with the cruise National Enquirer story, which we'll get to in the next hour. When we come back. I want to do um, a segment we've, we may or may not do weekly called Can Donald Trump Win? Because there's some more information on that. We'll get to it when we return on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. Our website, which you definitely want to check out for a number of reasons, is www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. And um, whenever appropriate, probably almost every week between now and the end of this chaos, we're going to take a look at the question of whether or not Donald Trump can actually win. Because, Leah, of all of the important elements of this campaign, it's remarkable to me how the most important ingredient, if this was a job description, the number one element to getting the job should be, can you beat Hillary Clinton? We've been saying this for months and months and months. Right. If you're in a job interview, that should be the first, second, and third question. Tell me how you're going to beat Hillary Clinton. And it never even gets talked about. I mean, Marco Rubio talked about it. Ted Cruz talked about it during the debates. But that's about it. And well, and Trump occasionally will brag based on completely erroneous information uh, with no media blowback that he will beat her and beat her easily. He has said he'll he'll be right. he'll beat her easily. So he's changing I, the map. You know, <laughs> oh, he'll change the map. All right. <laughs> he's going to change a lot of the states, I think, if he's the nominee, just not in the way that uh, he would like or we would hope necessarily. Um, but look, I, I have made it uh, you know a mission of mine to educate people to the utterly ludicrous notion that Donald Trump would beat Hillary Clinton given current circumstances. Again, I've already referenced what if there's a massive terror attack at home, something like that, or she's indicted, which isn't going to happen. All that is understood when I make that statement. And so this week we had another batch of remarkable information that was almost entirely ignored uh, by even the conservative media, totally ignored by, for instance, Matt Drudge, who is completely in the tank for, for Donald Trump. And I've written about that extensively. You can see an article that I wrote that went viral at freespeechbroadcasting.com that, sh- that really tells the whole story of why the conservative media sold their soul for Donald Trump. But, but here's, here's where we are on the polling. Since Thanksgiving, Leah, mm-hmm. there have been 27 reputable national polls which polled Americans on their preferences between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. Right. Of those 27, the number where Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton outside the margin of error, and the margin of error is usually about two or three, sometimes four points, the number of those 27 where Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton outside the margin of error is zero. Yep. He's O for 27. That's the good news. Here's the really bad news. Since Mitt Romney made his much maligned speech, right? Everyone, oh, what a what a geek, what a loser, what a you know it has Go been, away. has been, whatever. <laughs> Since you can mark it down, it, it is a, and I believe there's a direct impact here. Since Mitt Romney gave his speech, ripping Donald Trump to shreds. Donald Trump has not come within five points of Hillary Clinton. The real clear politics, which is the Bible of this, average for the last, I think, eight, maybe it's ten polls now, somewhere in that range, but their current average has Hillary beating Trump by over ten points. And here's here's the important part. See, it's not just that she's beating him by ten. She's over 50% now on average. Oh, boy. And when, yep. you, when you get over 
especially when two people are as well known as Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump and the media is going to be on her side. How do you possibly change that? You don't. You're not in a rational world. And then, okay, you say, well, John, it's not about national polls. It's about state polls. Well, the state polls are just as bad. He's claiming he's going to change the map, as you referenced. He's still losing big in Michigan. He's still losing big in New York, which he has referenced both of those states because somebody told him or somebody in the media wrote who wanted to get linked on the Drudge Report that he could win those two states, which was complete balderdash. And it's just flat out ridiculous. It's not going to happen. California. Oh, oh yeah, he, he's, yeah, he's, gotten, he's getting crushed in California. Um, he's, uh, he's at, where was he at? 33%, um, which he, which was pathetic. He, we could never possibly win at 30. So one major state, he's at 33%, which is, uh, escaping me now. He's losing in Ohio, which is a must win to Hillary. What about Florida? Um, Florida, he, it, it, there's not been a lot of, that I've seen polls. I saw one poll in Florida just before the primary where he was beating her by one point, but he was at 45. She was at 44. I think he's losing a couple of others in Florida. Um, and, and look, the reality is there's not a shred of evidence, not a shred of evidence or logic that he's going to beat her. But what drives me crazy are the excuses from his fans. Um, they say, well, well, poll- the polls are off. The polls are off. Wait a minute. This is the guy whose entire campaign is based on polls. I mean, he, he recites polls all the time, uh, but only when he's winning. Um, and and I, I love this one. This is the one I heard a lot this week. Ronald Reagan was down big at this point to Jimmy Carter in 1980. Yes. All right. No, three weeks uh, ahead of the election, he was down. But not like this. But OK. But he was theoretically down big, huge, by larger margins than Trump is down to Hillary um, about a year out from the election. Now let's let's examine the absurdity of this because this is important, all right? Because this is the, this is these are how these myths get created into narratives. 1980, in comparison to 2012, might as well be 1880 as far as technology is concerned, all right? Yeah. In 1980, there was one poll, the Gallup poll. They polled twice, right? <laughs> they polled twice. The, the polling technology was in the 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 Stone Age in 1980, and so. When no one was paying attention, they, they polled, and C- Carter was at the high, Reagan was at a low. It was literally two polls in a couple-month period where, where Carter was crushing Reagan. We are living in a completely different universe now. There was no cable television then. There were no cable news networks. There was no Facebook, no Twitter. There was, I mean, the, the newspapers rained. People actually paid attention to the news. Uh, I mean, we are living in a completely different universe when i i'm not just joking when i say 1980 might be might as well be 1880 that's being generous that's how much different 2016 is to 1980 here's the example we ought to be using 2012 we if we go back to march of 2012 mitt romney and barack obama and keep in mind Obama is a far tougher situation than facing Hillary. Obama's actually likable. He's the incumbent. He's black. Yeah. I mean, Romney's not as well known as Trump. He hasn't gotten nearly the media coverage of Trump. He doesn't have the nomination. hundred. Well, neither does Trump technically. But, okay, you could argue that Romney doesn't have the nomination as sewn up at this point as Trump does. But you could argue either way on that. The reality is... Romney was losing to Obama at this time, but he was occasionally beating him. The average was not as bad. Romney's numbers were much better than Trump's. And oh, by the way, how'd that turn out? 
Yes. Romney lost, and Romney lost fairly significantly. So you're badly trailing a candidate your guy calls a loser who was do who was going up against a much tougher candidate under very similar circumstances. So my, my, my point here is these polls do matter. They are predictive, and there is no logic, none. I know logic doesn't matter anymore, uh, that Trump could beat Hillary uh, based upon the current circumstances. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about this National Enquirer story involving Ted Cruz in a way that you're not going to hear anywhere else. I guarantee it. So make sure you stay tuned to that on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 